Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Fazia Costi, and today I have Dr. Sheila Fury. She is a child and adolescent psychiatrist um, who is practicing currently in Richmond, Virginia, and she's been there for over 20 years. Um, I'm sorry, she's been practicing for over 20 years. She has worked as an advocate for learning disabled children and has provided care for children in residential treatment centers, juvenile detention, and in her private practice. Um, After discovering the impact of neuroplasticity on treating children and adults with learning disabilities um, or head injury, Dr. Fury became a certified Aerosmith instructor and has been teaching these exercises as part of her private practice for four years now. Dr. Fury encourages her patients to live a healthy lifestyle by eating well and she provokes a diet that promotes brain function, positive brain function. Uh, she understands that diet and nutritional supplements may be more helpful than traditional medicines. Dr. Fury is a wife and mother, and she enjoys spending time walking her dogs and spending time with her wonderful family. So welcome, Dr. Fury. Thank you for having me, Fazia. You know, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, as you know, I'm fascinated by the uh, Aerosmith uh, program, and, and I, love, I love what you're doing. But before we get started on the Aerosmith program, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about maybe your background and, and, and who are you? What, what makes you so wonderful? Well, thank you. So I've been in practice for over 25 years and have had a passion for children with learning disabilities and always looking outside the box. And so I began with facing the challenges of my patients but then I was gifted with two wonderful children who both have dyslexia. (laughs) So that was, you think that you have a steep learning curve in medical school and residency, you have an even steeper learning curve when it comes to your own children. Right. So that began my further search and understanding of children with learning disabilities and in particular dyslexia. And then that challenge was compounded when I experienced my own head injury. I was in a car accident and suffered a severe concussion and was wanting my own brain back. And that is when I discovered the work of Barbara Aerosmith and began uh, working to understand neuroplasticity and how it affected me and what could be done to help me as an individual but then how those same concepts could be applied to children and adults. Because there is so, we have programs available, but most of the programs involve accommodations. So we're putting a Band-Aid on the problem. And I wasn't satisfied with that answer. And so I looked for something more. As all parents who have learning disabled children do, they're they're looking for something else. 
that will help make their child more functional. They understand the impediments they have in everyday life. And I was looking for mechanisms to help not only children, but in my case, it was to help restore brain function for me. Sure. Um, You know, I I think... I think all of those things, dyslexia, brain, you know, brain issues with a concussion, those are all very difficult challenges to to work with. And so the fact that you found something that actually is helpful is nothing short of a miracle. It's pretty phenomenal, I think. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, what is neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change or grow connections. So when you think about sports and, you know, basketball, football, whatever sports, soccer, you have to learn a skill and develop that skill. And when you begin learning that skill, it's awkward and you fumble a lot. And but as you continue to practice, you become very proficient at the skill at that skill. And in your brain, the neural pathways um, become refined. So when we take that concept from being an athlete and refining a skill to learning and cognitive issues, we have the same ability. So if we target, we develop or use certain exercises to target specific cognitive areas in the brain, we can refine that ability and make it faster and more efficient. And that, what we've been able to demonstrate on MRI is that those parts of the brain actually grow. So the neuronal connections are growing. And what I think from a psychiatric standpoint is, if you're growing neuronal connections, you also increase the level of neurotransmitters. So when we look at something like ADHD, when we're trying to increase the level of neurotransmitters in order for someone to pay attention, is it possible that we can give targeted brain exercises that help with attention, concentration, and memory and increase the neurotransmitter activity and decrease the need for medication? Wow. So I'm looking at that not only from just a, you know, bricks, you know, laying the bricks on a road, but also the glue that holds those bricks together. And the Mm. glue I would call the neurotransmitter activity. So as I've been doing these exercises, the things that we see are And it isn't across the board because everyone comes into the program with different needs and different levels of dysfunction. But we do see students who typically when they begin the exercises, almost universally, they said the first sign cognitively that changes is they're less anxious. Because the academic environment for children who are learning disabled is very anxiety provoking. And they're doing exercises that improve their cognitive function, their attention, their concentration, their memory, and the anxiety begins to slip away. And they are less fearful when approaching a task. 
because they've had success, which is something they rarely experience in the academic environment. And so as their anxiety begins to go down and their memory begins to improve and they see success, they have better attention, they have better concentration. And at those points, we can look at possibly decreasing their medications. All right. And that's what I think is a wonderful option because many children have said, I don't like the medication. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't like the side effects. And if we can give them a way to improve their brain and improve their functioning that will help limit their medication or dependence on medication, I think that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And, and coming from you, I think it's, it says a lot because you are a psychiatrist. You actually prescribe medications. So I, I think this would be a wonderful um, program for other psychiatrists to also implement in their practice because they might be prescribing less medications, m- prescribing, um, you know, more activities or something, you know, things would change dramatically for their clients. Um, I, I love it. Um, tell us a little bit. I want to hear more about the Aerosmith program, but I want to talk more about accommodations first. So we've talked about neuroplasticity. Um, let's talk a little bit about what what are the accommodations that um, children have in schools that you maybe find are not so helpful. And then let's talk a little bit about how the Aerosmith program really helps these students um, become more successful. So one of the areas in students who have dysgraphia in particular, all right, um, we give them a typewriter uh, or a, a computer and we want them to type. And there is, for some people, there's an assumption that you can type and dysgraphia won't affect your typing, which is false because it absolutely <laughs> does. Right. And, but fundamentally, there's a direct link between dysgraphia because it's a motor symbol sequence and speech output. So it isn't unusual that we have students who have speech and language delays who also have dysgraphia. And so we can give them an exercise that targets dysgraphia, but also increases their speech fluency because it's a motor symbol sequence. We don't think of speech as a motor symbol sequence Um, because we focus more on articulation. But when you read, you have to interpret those words. Then you have to put those words into a sequence. And so that is the same part of the brain that is linked um, to handwriting. And so when we got, when we took away cursive handwriting from the schools, because it was too difficult for students what we did was, for some students, limited their speech fluency. So as you think you're putting a Band-Aid on it, you're actually causing more harm. Yeah. The the other um, aspects are, and an accommodation is we give an analog clock to children, I mean a digital clock to children who have difficulty with an analog clock. And I have specifically been told by teachers that the whole world is digital, so it doesn't matter if we can tell time on an analog clock. So the problem with that accommodation is it puts a ceiling 
on your reading comprehension because the exercises related to telling time on an analog clock are critical for reading comprehension and higher order thinking. So we have to understand before, after. We have to understand the relationship between the hour, the minute, the second, between the week, the month, and the year. And, we do, and those things are lost. The integration of those concepts is lost if we limit children in their ability to tell time on an analog clock. So in the Aerosmith program, not only do we learn to tell time on an analog clock, but we go, the exercise goes up to 10 hands. So it's an unusual clock obviously, because traditionally we don't see 10-handed clocks. But these are clocks in an exercise. And not only are we looking at accuracy, we're looking at speed. And the students, many of our students begin with a single-handed clock. So we begin by having them say the hour correctly, the minute correctly. And then we add the two hands, the hour and the minute together. So the exercises are graduated, but the critical thing is these, what our school systems do is dismiss or minimize a child who cannot tell time on an analog clock and say, it's okay. We just give them a digital one and everything is fine. What they're not, what they're missing, and it's a critical part, is why that exercise is important and fundamental to growth and development of children. Well, I think you've, you've really hit the nail on the head. They don't understand why it's important. And I think that we need to educate teachers as to why those things are important. Absolutely. And many of the teachers, um, and we actually have friends who are just graduated from college of my children, and they have never been taught about neuroplasticity. And they have very little education on learning disabilities and how to identify learning disabilities in children. And the other group that doesn't know how to adequately identify learning disabilities is pediatricians. Mm -hmm. Because as long as you fall within the bell curve, you're normal. And so you have children who have specific strengths, but as long as their weaknesses are within the bell curve, they're minimized. And that's not fair to the child because you have a child who can have significant strengths, but also has significant weakness. And the weakness is completely written off. And that does a disservice to all of our children. I agree. I completely agree. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the Aerosmith program. Why did you choose to implement this program in your practice? What is what is so special about this program? Well, when I um, had my concussion, my husband gave me the book, The Woman Who Changed Her Brain, because I had said to him, I just want my brain back. And Barbara Aerosmith Young, who developed this program, herself had multiple profound learning disabilities. Barbara is a genius because... Any woman who suffers or any person who suffers from learning disabilities who develops a program to teach themselves out of their own learning disability is a genius. And that's exactly what she did. And as I was reading her book, 
I was amazed at each of the exercises. And from a psychiatric standpoint, I found her right on target and knew that there was hope not only for myself, but for the children that I was working with. And so I went to Toronto and I observed in the classroom, I observed the program, and I said, I need to take a leap of faith and try this program. And so I spent two summers in Toronto learning the program, implementing the program, and in real life, I saw it change. And that was really what completely sold me on the program. It wasn't something that I was waiting a year or two years to see change in the students that I was working with. I was seeing change in eight to 12 weeks. The degree of change varied for different students, but it was real. And I had never experienced a program where I could see the, that degree of real change in months rather than in years. Wow. <clears throat> that's, that's really impressive. So um, let's talk a little bit about how does a brain injury affect learning? So one of the things that happens in a brain injury is that you have a phenomenon called neuronal shearing. And so if we think of your wires in your computer, you have certain wires that are broken. And so the neurons, the messages don't get relayed. And so learning becomes much more difficult. And depending on the part of the brain that's injured, you have different degrees of neuronal injury. So in a concussion, what you happens is you have, if like in a car accident, you can have a forward backward. So the frontal part of the brain and the prefrontal cortex are involved or the occipital, the back of the brain is involved. And so you have to look at what visual disturbances have gone on with brain injury and then what executive function, which is the frontal lobes, has occurred because of the head injury. And so when you've got the wonderful thing about the brain is we have billions and billions of neurons. So even though there's been damage to some neurons, there are other neurons that remain undamaged. And it's those neurons that we want to capitalize and grow. And so if we can focus um, exercises on the parts of the brain that have been traumatized or damaged, then we can have neuronal growth. Now, the, the amount of growth also depends on the amount of damage, right? So you can't, there isn't, I'm never going to say that I can restore a person completely to normal, but can we make significant progress? Yes. And the amount you, of progress depends on the individual. You just answered a question I didn't ask because I was about to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I find the whole thing very fascinating. Um, so when you're, oh, can you give me some examples of maybe uh, some exercises that maybe somebody could do if they had uh, a concussion? Like, like give just maybe some brief, simple exercises that maybe they could do. 
So the two exercises that we focus most with on concussion are motor symbol sequence, and not motor, yes, motor symbol sequence, all right, which is an exercise that focuses attention and concentration and fine motor skills and also visual tracking. It is often that um, there's a visual disturbance with a concussion mm-hmm. and a lot of times concussion victims will say, I can't read anymore because I can't follow the line of text in a book or I can't follow the line of text on the computer or they get severe eye fatigue on the computer is another symptom. And so we give them an exercise in which they are tracing right um, symbols in a particular manner. And the, the object is, is that they must keep their eyes focused on the tip of the pen while they're doing the exercise. And they can't make any errors. So when they start out this exercise and they're tracing the symbols, they make a lot of exercises of, of, of errors. And as they continue to complete it, the errors decrease. But we not only want them to do it with 100% accuracy, we also give them a time limit. So when students begin, they may take five or six minutes to complete a certain set of symbols. We want them to be able to do it um, with 100% accuracy in two minutes. And so not only do we want accuracy, but we want speed. And as students complete those, they notice that their eye tracking ability significantly increases. The eye strain that they had prior to this is also improving, right? The other exercise that targets executive function is the, um, the, what we simply call the clocks exercises, all right? Um, And it's learning to tell time on an analog clock you begin with two hands and you go up to 10. And this is an activity in which you're learning to tell time in a new way. And you need to do it quickly and efficiently. So again, we're asking for accuracy. So we want 90 to 100% accuracy and a time limit. So we want to answer, read an analog clock in 70 seconds or less, all right, and 25 clocks in a row. And people often say to me, well, that's easy until they sit down and do it. 25 different times in 70 seconds? Yes. Oh, okay. So that's pretty quick. Yeah. And it absolutely can occur. And then after they've mastered that, we make the task more difficult. So we increase the number of hands and we give you a little bit more time, but not significant. And so that the challenge is you're continuing to up the challenge and demand of the brain. And as they do that, their concentration improves, their memory improves, their organization improves. So all of those things are significantly impacted by concussion. And many adults who've experienced concussions would say, you know, I used to be the most organized person in the office. And now I can't remember where my date book is. Mm -hmm. They learn to accommodate by putting everything on their phone, 
but they forget to look at their phone. I, yes, <laughs> I have quite a few students that do that. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. So those are two of the, the, the main exercises I use for concussion. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I really um, found our conversation very interesting. We have about three minutes left before we take our break. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Dr. Fury, how could they? So you can reach me by phone at 804-914-1949 or 1949. So 804-914-1949 or Dr. Fury at protonmail.com. So it's D-R-F-U-R-E-Y at protonmail.com. All right. And do you have a website as well? We do have a website. It's Train Your Brain MD, and that's the same on Facebook. Okay, so Train Your Brain is it dot com? It is dot com. Okay, so Train Your Brain MD dot com. Okay, yeah. beautiful. Thank you for for sharing that. So if you're, uh, you know, interested in, in getting a hold of Dr. Fury, there you go. She um, helps individuals who've had uh, traumatic brain injuries or learning disorders of any kind. So uh, that's that's absolutely wonderful. We're going to take a break here in a couple minutes. So if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can also go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And while you're on that website, you can look at our uh, wonderful uh, radio show as well as our podcasts. You can subscribe to our upcoming magazine, which by the way, Dr. Fury has written a wonderful um, article in our first uh, volume. So if you'd like a copy of that, feel free to send me an email and I'll be happy to send you that, um, that link as well. And you can also go on to our website to look at our YouTube channel. There's videos there that um, either I have done or my colleagues have done in our last summit last year. So you can definitely get some wonderful information um, for a variety of different challenges there. Um, so, Dr. Fury, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Uh, Sheila Fury again, uh, a little bit more about the Aerosmith method and how she helps um, individuals succeed in, in, um, in a variety of ways. So, thank you for listening. And I just want to give one quick shout out to our listeners in Pakistan and Ireland and the Netherlands. Uh, we have listeners from all over the world. So thank you so much for listening. It's because of you that we have a show and we will be back after these messages. So uh, thank you again. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Bozzi Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Bozzi works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fazia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Costi or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. Um, today we are talking with Dr. Sheila Fury. She is a child and adolescent psychiatrist who practices in Richmond, Virginia. And just want to make a quick little correction. Um, her website is actually trainyourbrain.org. Trainyourbrainmd.org. Oh, I'm sorry. MD. See? That's why I need help. Trainyourbrainmd.org. Okay. Thank you for that correction. Um, so welcome back, Dr. Fury. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I'm really finding our conversation fascinating. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's personal to me because um, this past year and a half, uh, my mom actually hit her head twice. And so she has been dealing with the concussion and she's been dealing with some of these um, challenges that you have when you have a concussion. So um, I've been working with her um, in the ways that I work with my clients, but um, sometimes I wonder, you know, there's, there are other things that could be done and, and you are talking about those things. So that's wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about the important, or actually, I think you want to talk a little bit more about the clocks, um, deductive reasoning. So let's go ahead and talk about that. Can, can, we, can we just jump right in? Yes. So one of the things that children struggle with is how one thing relates to another. And being drawing connections between the past, the present, and the future. Now, I'll give you an example of this. One of the girls in the program was walking on her way to school, and she noticed some trash on the street. And she said to her mom, you know, mom, that's really dangerous because if that gets in the waterways, that could, in the future, injure animals in the sea. Mm -hmm. And her mom looked at her in complete awe and surprise. And she said, where did that come from? She goes, well, my teacher was talking about this last year in school. So she was able to take something from the past, link it to the present, and link it to the future. Her mother said that was the first time in her life. Wow. So being able to see the relationships between past, present, and future, the relationships between the hour, the minute, the second, okay, 
how you interact with someone so that there's a dynamic in your interpersonal relationships so that your actions have an impact on other people and other people's actions have an impact on you. And that can be impacted by the environment around you. So when you are learning disabled or are suffering from cognitive insults, your world gets very small because you easily get overwhelmed. And you want to narrow things like, I can only handle one thing at a time. But rarely in life does one thing happen at a time. True. And so to be able to integrate multiple things simultaneously is a key to reasoning and it's a key to life. So the more things that you can see and integrate at a single moment of time, so being able to read a three-handed clock or a four-handed clock rapidly and understand the interrelationship of those grows the part of your brain that is responsible for understanding math, science, all higher levels of thinking, all right? So that you're able to see relationships in a completely new dynamic. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you use the clocks to teach this. Such a simple tool to teach such complex thought patterns, such complex ideas. That's, that's fascinating. And it's because you're essentially growing the neuronal framework. So you're building strength in the part of the brain that is responsible for this deductive reason, this executive function, all right? So you still have to learn. It doesn't make you a genius overnight, all right? You still (laughs) have to learn the fundamental things, but you now have a foundation in your brain that is receptive to learning those concepts. So when you do go to school, it makes life easier. Correct. And that's what we want for our children. We want life to be a little bit easier. Okay. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about um, speech and language. Um, can we talk about that next? Yeah. So one of the areas, and many of my students have significant, what we call expressive receptive language learning disabilities. And so there are a number of exercises that are used to target these. Um, Some of them are listening exercises where you listen and then have to give the information back um, accurately, right? Because one of the things that we know from children who have um, expressive receptive language learning disabilities is that they only hear part of the phrase. And so a lot of times they're they're looked upon as shy or withdrawn or a loner. And all of those connotations may be completely inaccurate because why they become shy or withdrawn or a loner is because they miss out on conversations. They only hear bits and pieces. And so they're confused a lot of times. They miss the joke because they miss the punchline. All right. And but this happens every day of their life. And so when they begin, when you give them targeted exercise and they can begin to hear 
and receive all that information accurately, they then become engaged in the family, in the classroom, because they're not missing aspects. Additionally, when you work on the receptive, um, the expressive end of this, when they have less difficulty finding the words to speak, they are more likely to be engaged in conversation because they practice words over and over again. They have, um, there are phrases that they, and words that they've used frequently that they can draw upon and that those parts of the brain have been targeted. And so to engage in a conversation used to be a lot of work and it's now a lot less effort. I, I'm just thinking about all the kids out there that have so many gaps in their learning, and it's not necessarily for any other reason except for this. Correct. And it's really, and it, and it hurts me when I see these children um, classified as, um, oh, they're just shy. They don't like to participate. They're being labeled, and the label isn't accurate. And one of yeah. my students in particular who had a severe speech and language, receptive language delay, has been doing the exercises for a number of years. And I ran into a member of his family, and they told me that he was at a Christmas party and rapidly engaged with everyone at the party who were all new to him. All right. So a completely new environment. And what she said to me was, you would have never known that he was learning disabled. Wow. That's that impressive. is the amount of growth that occurred over the course of a couple of years, but it took a couple of years, but that is growth that he had never had prior to that. In all of the interventions that had occurred in his traditional academic programs in school, had not brought about that level of success. Fascinating. That's wonderful. What, what role does diet play in everything? So yeah, let's chat a little bit about diet because I think it's one of the it's one of my topics that I, I think is very important. So yeah, go ahead, please. So diet is essential and we have to look at multiple aspects of it. And one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of students is that they're addicted to sugar. And when you're addicted to sugar, your brain does not function well. Your brain really likes fat, right? You have to remember that all of your neurons have a myelin sheath around them, and that myelin is essentially fat, all right? And that protects your brain. So. And I learned about the ketogenic diet a number of years ago and its importance in fighting or treating um, childhood seizure disorders. And I said, if it treats seizure disorders, and if we look at seizure disorders sort of as a brain injury, maybe if we take that same concept and apply it to persons who have head injury, it may help them. What kind of diet is this? It's a ketogenic diet, which is a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. So 
Technically, if you get into the nuts and bolts of it, it's 70% of your calories come from fat, 25 from protein, and 5% from carbohydrates. And that can be modified a little bit. But if you're going to treat seizure disorders in children, that is sort of the ratio you look for. Um, and, but essentially what I have a recommend to patients is let's eliminate the carbs that we can, all right? Let's, we don't have to count carbs and count fat and count protein, but let's get rid of your breads, your pasta, your rice, and your, your sugar sweets, all right? And let's hydrate the body. So hydrate lots of water, lots of electrolytes, and then give it healthy fat and protein. And fruits and vegetables, like green vegetables, I'm like, have all you want. I'm not going to argue. Um, and fruits, I look at things that um, are have a lower glycemic index. That means that they don't become sugar in your body rapidly. So blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, all right? So I don't want to eliminate sweets entirely because I know that we like them. Um, I do. <laughs> so, yeah, I, don't know, I don't know anyone who doesn't. So. so in my patients who like crave ice cream or they need a little sweet snack, I tell them to have a, um, a bowl of raspberries and then they can top it with heavy whipping cream. All right. That's made with a sugar substitute or honey. So your amount of sugar that's in it is very low and they are completely satisfied. They have the heavy whipping cream, which they said I was told was bad my whole life. And now they can eat it and they have it with fruit. All right. So we look at, there's other smoothies. There's a whole list of food things that you can do, but the goal is to provide you with a stable energy source. So fat in the body is good because it keeps your blood sugar stable. And what happens when you have a high sugar diet is your sugar goes up, that triggers an insulin response and your sugar comes down rapidly. And then you're hungry again or irritable. So you say, well, I must be hungry again, which you are. You eat more sugar you trigger an insulin response, and then you crash again. So your blood sugar goes up and down all day. And that creates anxiety and irritability. And so when we can keep the blood sugar stable all day, it decreases the amount of irritability and anxiety that patients experience. And then I, you know, supplements, I look at uh, fish oil, all right, I'm a big B12 and folate if those are important. I also look at, uh, for many of my students who are experiencing anxiety, I look at a supplement um, with magnesium or choline citrate or a combination of the two. And I learned that from my autistic patients, that autistic patients can have um a level of anxiety or irritability with simple changes. And some, even if they want the change or they're anticipating an event, which is positive, they're going to go to a birthday party or something that they're looking forward to. But the anticipation and the anxiety around that can cause them to have behavioral outbursts. And so I found using magnesium 
has been a really big help. And it pulls us away from the psychopharmacology drugs, which have a lot of side effects. So these are simpler methods to do in interventions that help the child. Absolutely. And I like simple. Well, not only simple, but it sounds like they're much more effective or even, you know, just a better way of life. Uh, they're not relying on medications, which, you know, should they, you know, end up on a different medication. Now you have to worry about contraindicated the, the indications between the two medications and all the other stuff that happens when you're on medication. So it sounds like you've just got a better way of doing things. Um, I find it fascinating. Um, so we have about uh, 10 minutes uh, before we end our conversation today. Um, is there any particular topic that you would like to chat about before we end our time together? I think what I'd like to do is be able to tell you some stories. I would okay. love stories. Yes, thank you. All right. So we have a student um, who's actually my co-teacher's long-term student. All right. Um, and this student was had an IQ on testing of around 70 or just above 70. And the neuropsychiatrist or neuropsychologist who evaluated the student told the parents, essentially give up. That this is the way he's going to be and look at long-term living arrangements for him because he's not going to be successful. And, and by successful, you mean unable to take care of himself? Correct. He would not be able to live independently. Okay. And. The parents, thank God, did not buy that. And they enrolled him in the Aerosmith program, and they enrolled him full-time. So that means he was not taking any academic classes. And he, the first year was a big challenge for him. And the second year was a big challenge. But he began to make progress. This student is now going to graduate from high school. Wow. On the AB honor roll. He's Thanks. going to go to college. That's so impressive. This, every child who does this program or participates in some form of neuroplasticity, the doors are open. I think we've just begun opening the doors in neuroplasticity. I and agree. How it can be applied to children and adults. And we have limited ourselves to relying on the testing of neuropsychologists as being the whole, this is your prognosis forever. And I don't want ever, any student to be limited by testing. I want students to be able to have resources at their fingertips in which they are able to try new and innovative technology to learn. And how much any particular child will learn depends on the child. But we can make the difference between living independently and living relying on others 
and the degree of independence varies, but every step towards independence we make is a step in the right direction. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, one of my concussion patients uh, was a CPA, and she couldn't do math in her head after the concussion. Aww. And so you can imagine the level of frustration, lots of memory difficulty, lots of visual difficulties. And after, when we were doing the exercises, she would be successful on one day, she would come in the next day, and she couldn't remember the exercise. And we would, re-che- we would reteach the exercise. And then she would go along, and then she would forget again. But every time we had to reteach her, it took less time. And by the end of the year, I overheard a phone conversation, and she was doing from memory bulleted points about something that was really important to her and was able to give all of that information coherently and succinctly without notes. Wow. And... To see that occur in someone who was so discouraged when they began, like, I can't make progress. You're having to reteach me again. And I would say, it's okay. We're going to reteach you again, and you're still going to make progress. And I don't think they would have believed where they were nine months later. Wow. You know, that's really... uh... That's really amazing because I, I think so many people give up um, at a certain point. I had a client who um, I've been working with her for a couple of years and, and she had a traumatic brain injury. And when I met her, it had been five years post her, her injury and she would not work with me. She's like, I, I've given up. I don't think there's anything anybody can do for me. And, you know, and I wasn't even doing the things that you're doing. <laughs> But um, we made tremendous progress, and I'm thrilled to see her. Uh, she has her own business now. She she's in her 70s, and she's living a life that she didn't even think she could have ever again. And so it's really nice to see people go from a place where they almost have no hope. They just think this is what I have to accept. This is what I'm given. And you're telling people, no, you don't have to accept it. You can make progress. You can actually be much more successful than you are right now. And that's amazing. It absolutely is. And we need to educate the health community, particularly physicians, all right, that to look for the signs of learning disability, to look for signs of concussion, not minimize those signs. So if the patient comes in and says, well, I'm having memory difficulty, I'm having visual difficulty, I'm ex- my brain is exhausted, and it didn't used to be this way, that instead of saying or handing a patient an anti-anxiety med or an antidepressant, we say, well, maybe what you need is brain work. And we can give you cognitive exercises that will help you recover and that you will be able to hold on to that recovery much more efficiently. And the medication isn't going to address the fundamental damage that was done. Right. Yeah, no, I I think what you're doing is absolutely wonderful. Um, 
And we just have a few minutes before the um, the close of our, our time together. I just have one last question for you. So what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Well, my 20-year-old self needs to know that the road may be difficult ahead and there will be times when you won't have confidence in yourself, but you need to plant your feet on the ground and walk and that and be open to alternatives, be open to um, new beginnings, that if a door closes, there is another open door. Never be afraid to reach out for support and ask for help. Very nice. And never believe that you're the only one. Well, I, I think that's wonderful advice. Um, so if you'd like to get a hold of Dr. Fury, go to trainyourbrainmd.org. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And as always, I offer free consultations. So feel free to call me at 480-648-1122. And Dr. Fury, would you like to give your phone number out again as well? Yes, it's 804-914-1949. And we will do a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who calls from this show. Wow, that's wonderful. So make your phone calls today. Um, get yourself evaluated and see if the Aerosmith program is, is right for you. Um, and I really want to thank you, Dr. Uh, Fury, for coming on the show. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. And um, we will um, see you next, next week. We are meeting with Alice Kanaka. She is a longtime friend of mine. I've known Alice for over 20 years, and she is a writer So we're going to talk about writing next week. So have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.